0: You're reading from Matthew chapter 18? Matthew chapter 18 starting at verse 21. <clears throat> Matthew 18:21 <clears throat> And Peter came and said to him, "Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to 7 times?" Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him ten thousand talents. But since he did not have the means to repay, his lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children and all that he had, and repayment to be made. The slave therefore falling down prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the lord of that slave felt compassion, and released him, and forgave him the debt. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. He was unwilling, however, but went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his lord said to him, "You wicked slave, I forgive you. I forgave you, all that debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had had mercy on you?" And his lord, moved with anger hand him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So shall my Heavenly Father also do to you, if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart.
1: Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. I do hope you've left your Bible open to Matthew chapter 18. That's where we will spend the bulk of our time this morning. Um, I understand that we've got a few people away traveling this weekend uh, for the holiday weekend. Uh, you'll want to keep them in your prayers so that they can be back safely with us. They're out for different reasons. Um, tried real hard to come up with some joke about Labor Day weekend and Kelsey being pregnant, but I just I couldn't get there. So that's uh, that's about as good as it's going to get this morning, I guess, with regard to that. Um, One other thing. This, I guess, technically marks about a month of us being here with you. Um, While that's not a terrifically long amount of time at this point, we are thankful to be here with you. We've really enjoyed uh, getting to know you over the past month, spending time with you. Uh, And I think it's a testament to your patience that you've put up with me for even this long. And so uh, pat yourselves on the back for that one. Good job. There are a few biblical concepts uh, that I think sometimes we struggle to understand or struggle to apply. Um, Words that, as one preacher has described them, are are kind of churchy words, if you will. Uh, Words that we really don't use outside of a church context, or at least we certainly don't use in near the same way outside of a church context, outside of a spiritual context. Um, Things like grace and mercy, and repentance, for instance. Um, we we think, well, there's a good concrete biblical um, example of these things, and there's a good concrete biblical understanding of, of what's going on here. I just need to read that, I need to study it, I need to apply it. Otherwise, I'm not going to know what it is. And I agree with that, uh, that there are some of these concepts that... Uh, we look at in Scripture and we realize, hey, um, you know, if I didn't read this or if I haven't studied this, if I haven't taken the time to look at it, I'm not going to know what it is. The problem comes when there's a biblical concept that's also a concept within the world around us and we think because we understand what the world around us believes about it, we don't really have to search the Scriptures with regard to it. And we don't really have to talk about what Scripture says about this particular concept because, well, hey, the world does something kind of close to this. And so why do I need to spend time studying it? I think forgiveness is, if it's not the chief of those, it is close. It is near the very top of that list. I'd say this with recognition that that's true in my life at different points and it might be true in yours as well. That's not unique to us. Based off of the reading uh, that we just read, that we just uh, heard, Peter struggled with this as well. Jesus' own disciples struggled with this as well in the reading that we just read. And so Jesus himself has to explain forgiveness. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a look at the verses that we just read. Verses 21 through 35 of Matthew chapter 18. We're going to take a look at that. We're going to notice a few characteristics of forgiveness, a few things about forgiveness that um, maybe the world wouldn't teach us. In fact, I'd like to suggest the world would not teach us if we relied strictly on worldly knowledge of forgiveness. The first is that forgiveness is incalculable. I can't say the word. You can't count it. True forgiveness, you you can't count the number of times that it's appropriate to forgive someone. That's the very obvious point that comes out of verses 21 and 22. Let's read them together once again. Then Peter came up and said to him, this is Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Now, You may be familiar with the concept or with the idea that within Judaism that you could forgive someone as much as three times. That if you showed forgiveness to a person for the same thing three times, that you had shown you were a forgiving person, that you had a forgiving heart, that you didn't have to go any further than that. And so Peter's already sort of taking it a step further and saying, look, seven, which by the way within Scripture has to do with completeness and perfection, if I forgive him seven times... Even more than double what I think we're supposed to forgive people to begin with. Is that good enough? Surely it is. And then Jesus here says, not seven times. Seventy times seven. Now Jesus is doing a couple of things here. One that we talk about pretty often with regard to this passage. And one that maybe we don't talk as often about. We're going to start with the one that we don't talk as often about. Mark this and turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. believe that Jesus here is drawing from an Old Testament passage uh, to show the importance of limitless forgiveness. I'm not going to say incalculable anymore, but limitless forgiveness. Genesis chapter 4, let's read together verses 23 and 24. Genesis four twenty three and twenty four reads Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy sevenfold. Showing Lamech here is trying to show the intensity, the severity, and perhaps even the frequency, but the intensity and severity of his revenge. Which, by the way, is the opposite of forgiveness. Showing that if this is the standard, I'm going to go above and beyond that. And I think Jesus, perhaps drawing from this passage, remember his audience is largely Jewish at this point. Jesus is drawing from this passage to show that should be the intensity, that should be the frequency of your forgiveness. Don't react the way that Lamech did. React, but react with that same intensity. And then going back, of course, seventy times seven. The idea here is that you can't count it, that you shouldn't be counting it. Let's speak for just a second to a. Married couples, or perhaps even just dating couples. Do you ever keep score in your relationship? See who's ahead, who's doing better, who is more righteous than another person. (laughs) Of course, you probably don't realistically. Maybe some of you do if, if you do this. I would like to talk to you later on. But you don't keep an actual scorecard on the fridge or something, counting the number of times a person was right, or worse yet, counting the number of times that another person was wrong. But we do this, don't we, if we're not careful. We'll go through some sort of trial, and we'll go through some sort of uh, trouble. Maybe, someone, maybe the husband has wronged a wife, or a wife has wronged a husband in some way. And the spouse that has been wronged offers forgiveness. Says, okay, I'll forgive you. We'll move on past this. We'll get through this. Whatever this is, right? And then later on, maybe weeks, months, years later, when there's an argument, when there's another fight, the spouse will drag that back up. if you're dragging things up that have happened in the past that you've already quote unquote forgiven someone about, you've not truly forgiven them. You've not truly moved on past that because you're starting to quote unquote keep score. Well, you've wronged me this many times and this many times and this many ways. I can't put up with it anymore. I'm going to go off on a tangent here for just a second. We'll come back to the text. Um, This has the potential to destroy any relationship. Be it a marriage, be it another family relationship, be it amongst friends, because what starts to happen is you'll have, let's use it in context of a marriage because that's where we've been. You'll have a spouse that constantly realizes every single time he or she brings up a particular point, whether when they're in a fight, when they're trying to resolve something, married couples fight, by the way, I don't know if that's news to you. Um, They're trying to resolve something, and every single time that particular spouse speaks, their whole history of everything they've ever done wrong gets brought up. And so what happens is that husband or wife starts to not say anything that brother or sister starts to not say anything. That best friend, if you will, starts to not say anything. And problems are allowed to persist and persist and persist and persist until one day they just break the relationship in half. If you're fighting, don't bring up stuff that you've already moved past. If you've truly forgiven someone, of something, let that go. Don't use past times that you've forgiven someone as a reason to not forgive them this this time. Number one, forgiveness is limitless. Don't keep score. Don't keep track. Number two, forgiveness is costly. Let's read together verses 23 through 27. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now, when we read this, this 10,000 talents, there are a bunch of different estimations as to how much this is worth. I've seen as low as just a few million dollars. Uh, The commentary in my ESV study Bible says something like six billion dollars. And I've seen commentaries mention it be as high as possibly one trillion dollars if we were to compare it. Uh, In reality, this is probably about 20 years labor for the average common worker. It's not getting paid back. That's the point. It's not getting paid back. And so the, the master realizes this and he orders him, his wife, and his children and all that he had to be sold into slavery well him the wife and the children just the possessions to be sold generally i suppose but he and his family are to be sold into slavery and that's that was fairly common at this point if you couldn't pay the debt you were bankrupt you'd be sold into slavery at least until you could pay back the debt in which case this would be a minimum of 20 years in reality this is a life sentence being sold into slavery for this debt. But then the servant falls on his knees implores him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. He doesn't have a clue how he's going to do that. I think the master understands he doesn't have a clue how he's going to do that. And out of pity or compassion, your Bible might say, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. By the way, that idea of pity or compassion, that's the same terminology used of Jesus when he looks at people that need him in Matthew. When he looks at people that are about to heal him. Used in chapter 9, chapter 14, chapter 15, and a couple other places. The master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Notice what the king requires for forgiveness. He doesn't say, "I ah, just pay me back 10%. Give me two years' labor, and it'll be okay. He doesn't say, ah, I'll, I'll let this go, but you're on thin ice, buddy. He just simply forgives the debt. Now, it would be easier here to say that the debt is simply canceled. That's not really what happens. Someone is still out 20 years worth of labor. The king. Forgiving this servant costs this king something. In this case, quite a bit. Forgiving this servant costs him 20 years labor. 20 years that he had every right to. He had every right to pursue that. Instead, he absorbs the debt. He says, you know what? I'll take care of it. I'll forgive it. We'll figure it out. See, sometimes uh, when we forgive other people we like to hold it over their head constantly. That goes back to keeping score, doesn't it? Sometimes when we forgive other people, um, we like to say, well, if you'll do this, 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 and this for me, sure, I'll forgive you. Sometimes we like to think, well, if they've wronged us in some way, if they've hurt me particularly in some way, they need to hurt too. And it's only after their hurt that I can forgive them. There are situations where restitution needs to be made. There are situations where uh, people do need to pay back different things. But if I'm forgiving someone, if I'm truly forgiving someone in the biblical sense, it's going to cost me something. When we consider money, it's easy. If I'm forgiving a debt, I'm the one that's out that money. maybe when it comes to emotional or spiritual or even physical harm, if I'm truly forgiving someone, I'm not reciprocating that. There may be other reasons that that restitution needs to be made. We're going to talk about that. We'll get back to that. But if I'm going to forgive someone, it's going to hurt me in some way. Because I'm going to lose something in the process. We'll come back to that as well. Point number two forgiveness is costly. That being said, uh, Jesus' final point in this parable of, we sometimes say, the unforgiving servant, is that forgiveness is and must be given. Let's pick back up in verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported their master to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, the master delivered him over to the jailers until he should pay all the debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Going back up to verse 28, we see a second debt. This time, the servant that had already been forgiven this great amount, this forgiveness which saved not only him but his family, is the one that's owed money. Owed about 100 denarii. Now sometimes we trivialize this and say that it's absolutely nothing. Well, by comparison it is. At the same time, this is about three months' wages. This is not nothing. This is not nothing that this man is going to be able to pay back the very next day. The route to um, paying back this debt is not completely obvious to anyone involved, including ourselves. But it still is a small, almost insignificant amount of money compared or contrasted with what this man has already been forgiven. He seizes him, begins to choke him, saying, you better pay up. And the fellow servant says, and he says he says almost the exact same thing, you'll notice here. Have patience with me and I will pay you. I'll figure it out. But verse 30, he refused. Literally, here it says, he was not willing, which suggests that he had hardened his heart toward the man. He decided, nope. You owe me this, it's rightfully mine, and it is rightfully his. That hundred denarii doesn't magically somehow belong to someone else because he had already been forgiven. It's rightfully his. He says, no, I'm not forgiving you. You're going to pay up. See, the, the man here who had shown forgiveness would not forgive. And then we read down in verses 32-34, through 34, the king's reaction In the middle of verse 32 it says, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. The man who had been shown forgiveness, shown this great forgiveness that you really can't even put a number on. Scripture does for the sake of the parable, but in reality this is a lifetime's worth of work. The man who had been shown forgiveness would not forgive, so the one who'd forgiven that servant, the king, rescinded that forgiveness. He says, your choice to not forgive someone that owed you has cost you. And so then Jesus offers the warning in verse 35. So also my Heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is one of the most stern warnings that Jesus gives in Scripture. You had better forgive those that wrong you. Now, we understand what Jesus has said. And yet in reality... We're not real good at forgiving other people. It's something that the vast majority of us struggle with on one level or another. There's a couple of legitimate reasons why I think this might be the case. It's very possible that that there are some that just honestly don't understand what forgiveness is, that they think they're forgiving someone by doing one thing or the other, when in reality they're not. They're doing something totally different. They don't know any better. That's always a possibility. But for those of us that do, and I think Jesus here makes it pretty clear what forgiveness is, I think there's two legitimate reasons why we don't forgive each other, as we should. The first is that there's no, there is no way to forgive someone who's wronged you if you feel superior to them. If you think you are fundamentally better than the person that owes you money, Maybe some sort of encouragement, maybe pain. You won't forgive them because you think you are better than them. Consider it this way: this servant who had been forgiven, who who is approached about this, or who approaches his servant about this hundred denarii thought that this hundred denarii or this three months labor was worth more than the well-being of that servant. This money is worth more than keeping this man out of prison. You can only do that if you think you're superior to someone. Now granted, I I understand. Restitution needs to be made in some cases. Right? Right? Certainly, as a Christian, if I'm on the other side of this, I want the opportunity to pay someone back if I owe them something. Be it money, time, or anything else. I want that opportunity, and so if I'm the one being owed, it may be that I need to allow that opportunity to take place. That might be something that has to happen. But in this particular case, men had already been forgiven such a great debt. You see, that master had shown him value. He said, you're worth more than that 20 years labor. Why don't we forgive? It's possible we don't forgive because there's no way to forgive someone who's wronged you if you feel superior to them. The other reason is that there's also no way to truly forgive without the affirmation that the gospel provides. The Protestant Timothy Keller puts it this way. If it weren't for the gospel, we would be too needy to forgive other people. While we look at this parable and we say to ourselves, well, the man is wrong simply because he doesn't forgive. That's not quite the case. He's wrong in not forgiving because he's already been forgiven such a great debt. I showed you mercy. I showed you compassion. Says the king, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't reciprocate that. You wouldn't even show much less towards your fellow servant. See, if it weren't for the gospel, if it weren't for the fact that we've already been forgiven such a great debt, we might need every little advantage we can get. Maybe, uh, maybe strictly from a monetary sense. Maybe strictly as it has to do with physical things. Maybe it has, as it has to do with my self-worth. That I need to feel superior to other people and so because I don't have anything to fall back on. That I just have to get as far ahead in life as life can take me. See, the master in this parable forgave such a great debt because he saw value in his servant. He had mercy on him. God forgave us because he loves us and he cares for us. He sees value in us. He calls us a treasured possession in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. He sees value in us. But that forgiveness certainly did cost God something, didn't it? It Cost him his son. His son who, as we talked about a few weeks ago, he didn't deserve to die. He did that for us. He absorbed that pain. He canceled that debt for us. We deserve worse than that. But out of grace and mercy, we were forgiven. And so I don't need the the affirmation of being owed something, of feeling superior to something because I find my value in Christ and what He's done for me. In his commentary on Matthew, Craig Blomberg concludes in this way. God eternally and unconditionally forgives those who repent of so immense a debt against him that it is unconscionable or ridiculous for believers to refuse to grant forgiveness to each other for sins that remain trivial in comparison. When I have a brother or sister that sins against me, I may be legitimately hurt. It may be legitimately painful for me to overcome. There may be some in this room that have gone through unspeakable things. Things that where they've been wronged in ways that they can't even begin to talk about. Understanding forgiveness is not just because it's necessary and just because God's done it for us. It doesn't make it easy in many cases. I don't want to trivialize that point at all. But when, when we take a look at what God has done for us, it allows us to forgive even the most criminal of acts. Both because we realize we're, we were debtors just like that person is to us. We were to God. And also because God finds value in us and I don't have to go and find that for myself. Perhaps it is this morning that you're struggling with this. Uh, you, you, you as a Christian aren't forgiving others like you should. Change that. Maybe that means you need to acknowledge it in a public way. You need to begin with prayer in a public way. and We'd love to pray with you, pray for you. Maybe it is that you need to walk out these doors and go and work on that. Maybe there's some relationship either within this building or outside of it where you need to have a change of perspective and a change of action, go and do that. I encourage you to do that. Maybe it is this morning that you're not a Christian. You've not accepted that forgiveness. You've not put on Christ in baptism been baptized into His death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins. We would love to assist you with that. If you have any need, there's something that we can help you with this morning. Please come forward as we stand and sing.